children can be dismissed for children's church if you'd like to go. And uh, if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Colossians chapter 3. And uh, we have been talking about this month uh, love and hate. And we started by talking about the things that, some of the things that the Lord hates and uh, the things that the Lord loves. Uh, and then, of course, we had a little break last week with the Gideons were here. And I, again, thank you so much for uh, your, your good offering and your support of them. And continue to uh, ask the Lord to, to bless their, their work. And so today we're going to wrap up that series of, of messages, uh, Love and Hate, and talk about the love connection. Uh, you know, that there's a, um, something that's powerful about connection. Uh, there's a couple different shows on different channels uh, these days about, uh, I think there's a bachelor and there's a bachelorette, and I think maybe there's another kind of an offshoot of that. Uh, some of the reality TV shows drive me batty. They're just—they're not reality, uh, <laughs> and we need to, to understand that. Uh, but uh, you, you know, a lot of times uh, in that the show *The Bachelor*, they've got this hunky little guy uh, that, that's single, and then all the—I you know, don't know how many. Maybe they start with ten. There's several ladies they start with. Uh, and each week they dwindle it down until supposedly they get to the one where it's a true match. Well, here's what happens. Uh, sometimes those folks do get married. But guess what? They don't stay married for very long. Uh, and you know, sometimes they don't even make it to the, to the, to the wedding part. But, uh, and the reason is is because there's not... Uh, you know, they haven't fallen in love. They may have infatuated or are playing a part for a TV show or to make things interesting. Um, and you really can't love somebody without a connection. Uh, and so um, what Paul's talking about here as he writes this letter to the church at Colossae is how our love for Jesus connects us to God Almighty but it also connects us to one another. And so that's what we want to talk about. How do we live out uh, this love and hate relationship? How do we love the things that God loves, and how do we hate the things that God hates? And so these few verses answer that question. So let's take a gander at Colossians chapter 3, uh, beginning in verse uh, 12. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved... Put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you must also do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called into one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks uh, to God the Father 
through him. So the Apostle Paul here answers this question, all right, we know there's things that God loves and that we as God's people, we're supposed to love, but how on earth do we do that? I think Paul helps us to answer that question as he writes this letter to the church at Colossae. And I think there's three things that he uh, would remind us about the love connection. That is, so he begins in verse 2, he says, Therefore, well, what has he been talking about? He's been talking about how important it is that we're connected with Christ and that we live our life following after him and that, this, that we don't get bogged down and we don't get destroyed by the things of this world. Understand that sin always destroys. It can't do anything but destroy. That's what it does. And this old, sinful, fallen world is falling apart. It's not getting any better. Some people you know, think that, hey, we're headed to utopia and things are just going to get better all of a sudden. Well, that's not reality. Uh, as you look around the things that are going around in our world today and even here at home, our world is getting worse, not better. And the truth of the matter is, the reason it's getting worse is because of sin. Sin destroys and kills. But Jesus gives life. And so Paul wants the Colossian church and wants us here in Pearl, Mississippi to understand that Christ has saved us. And if he has saved us by his love, he loves us, we love him. But he said, if we love him, he's going to go to meddling. He says, if you love me, you've got to love each other. Sometimes that's hard. Because sometimes we don't particularly feel like loving other people. Sometimes we don't even particularly feel like loving ourselves. But here's the thing. God says that we are to do it. Even when it's hard. So how do we do it? Well, we remember and we build upon the love connection that Christ has given to us. And so he says, listen, because Christ has saved you and, and made you new and he's in you, you become the elect ones of God. In other words, you are those chosen people. And he's not talking about chosen frozen. Uh, he's talking about chosen to be a blessing. He's talking about that you are chosen uh, to, because of your response to Christ and asking Jesus Christ to come into your life and to be the Lord and Savior of your life. And when you become a Christian, your world changes. Now, in some ways, it doesn't change right away, but there is an immediate change that happens on the inside. And our walk here on earth, the rest of the time we're alive, is that inward change working itself outward. See, we think have opposite. We do the opposite. We say, well, I'll clean up the outside and then my heart will get right. It never, ever, ever, ever works that way. While you may make some change, you know, for a little while, and you may make some really sincere decisions, but chances are it's not going to last very long. Because when you change the outside and the inside's still rotten, Eventually, the rotten inside comes out to the outside. 
And God knows that. And so he says, you know what I do? Jesus says, I'm going to come and I'm going to change the inside. And when God changes the inside, it oozes out the outside. And it's changed. And that's how real lasting change and conversion takes place. Not by cleaning up the outside, but by getting the inside right. And getting the inside right is not left to our own devices. We don't have the power to clean up our inside. Who has the power to clean up our insides? There's only one, and his name is Jesus. But here's the thing, no matter how broken and in disrepair your insides are, when you ask Jesus Christ to come into your life, forgive you of your sin, and make you new, he does, and scripture says, you become a brand new creation. The old has gone away. All things have become new, Paul says in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Um, and so uh, all things become new. Well, how do we work that out? How does that happen? Well, the first thing that, in the way that happens, and I think we see that here in this list of Paul's commands. He said, because you've been changed with Christ, do these things. And so the first thing is that we need to be intentionally active. If you're going to love others, you have to be intentional about it because it doesn't matter how good a person is, there's times when all of us are unlovable. You know, it doesn't matter how, how wonderful and great you are. You have your moments, and I have my moments. And, yet, and so it takes intentionality, and it takes movement. It doesn't happen by accident, and it doesn't happen by us sitting on our laurels hoping that it happens. And so notice what Paul says. He said, put on. He said, you know what? There's some things that you need to be busy doing. He said, you put on. In other words, get dressed. All of you, thankfully, got dressed this morning. That was intentional and it took activity on your part. Yes, amen, Bill. We all are thankful for that. He said, you put on, and just like you had to be intentional about putting your clothes on and you had to be intentional about getting in your car and coming to church this morning, you had to be intentional about doing these things that Paul is going to tell us to do. And he says, you put on, and look at what he says. He says, put on kindness, uh, tender mercies, in other words, gentleness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, so that you'll bear with one another and forgive one another, so that if anyone has a complaint against someone else, as Christ forgave you, you also have to forgive them. That's a difficult verse. Well, if we were editing stuff out, I think that's probably one we'd want to edit out. But we can't edit out the scriptures. It's in there for our benefit and for our learning and for our doing. Well, how are we able to forgive and how are we able to, you know, and he tells us, he says, because Christ forgave you, you need to forgive others. 
others. And here's the reality. If you aren't able to forgive others and you have bitterness in your heart, chances are pretty good Christ hadn't, you haven't received Christ's forgiveness. And you're not living in it the way that you need to. And so Paul goes to meddling, which is what pe- preachers sometimes get to doing, and he says, you know what, if, yeah, you, and he, we, they were all saying amen in the first 11 verses of chapter 3. Yeah, we're, you know, changed, and we're, and they says, you know what, because you're God's children and God lives in you, you've got to do some things differently. And I'm going to tell you as your pastor and as your friend, you have to be very intentional about being kind and merciful and gentle. None of that comes natural to any of us. It's contrary to human nature. But so is God. And and that's one way a person can tell if somebody is walking after God or not because they don't look like the world. And so he says you need to be actively showing love and patience and humility and empathy. You you need to identify with one another. You need to understand that you you are part of Christ's family. And if somebody that's hurt you is part of Christ's family, then you need to forgive them because they're part of your family. And that's difficult to do. It's a lot easier said than done. But if we're not intentional about it and we're not actively doing it, it's not going to happen. And the reason why there's so much hate and vileness and destruction in this world is because love takes work. So I always see somebody hurt and say, well, that's not my problem. They but, you know, the reality is, is that even if somebody didn't do something of their own making, we still need to have empathy for them. And we still need to be concerned about them. And we still need to love them. Why? Because Christ loves them. Christ does not love them any less than he loves you. And how much does Christ love you? He loves you so much that he gave his life for you. So it's, it's messy doing this. And it's hard. But if we want to be the loving people that God desires for us to be, we have to be intentionally, actively working on it. We have to be living it out. And not just, by the way, those that are easy to love. Now we all know there's people that are a whole lot easier to love than other people. There are some people, hopefully we're not that person that make, oh, they make it so hard to love. Oh, it just, they, you know, they're, and yet those ones that are so so hard to love are probably the ones that need it the most. And the ones that Christ calls us to go to and to love. And so, Paul says, listen, because you are the holy elect of God, you need to put on these things. 
But it's not just a matter of making a determination and checking off boxes, saying, well, okay, I was kind to somebody today. I forgave somebody today. I've, I've done my due. I can go take a nap now. No, that's not how it is. And so Paul says, not only do you need to be intentionally active in loving others, but he says, you know what? You have to be incarnationally filled. Incarnation, just a big, fancy theological word. And I'm not sure that can be a, an adverb, but I made it one. Preachers can do that. But incarnation simply is what we call that Jesus Christ became flesh. Becoming flesh. And so what, we're, what I'm talking about there is that we need to let Jesus live in us and through us. But you see, he talks about these active things. There are certain things that you put on these things... And you do these things. There are several of those listed in these few verses that we read. But there are a couple things that he says, you know what, you can't do this by yourself. It's not active, it's passive. And let's look and see what those two things are. He said in verse 15, Let the peace of God rule your heart, to which also you were called into one body, and be thankful. And then he said, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. He said, be or put on. But then he also gave us these commands in verses 15 and 16 of let God do it. And here's the reality. Left to your own devices, you can't do much. But when you let Christ do it through you, he can accomplish a lot. But here's the thing. Christ can't do through you what he hasn't done inside of you. Let me say that again. Christ cannot do through you what he hasn't done inside of you first. And so Paul says, Church, let Christ dwell in you. Let him seep into all those dark corners and all those holes and all those cracks. Let the peace of God rule in your heart. And here's the thing. If the peace of God is ruling in your heart, guess what? There's not in your heart. There's not bitterness and there's not jealousy. And there's not hatred because the peace of God is ruling in your heart. And so there's not room for those things. But he said, hey, listen, and that's something that although we have to allow to happen, it's something that Christ does. He does the work. Peace and worry are opposite. As I mentioned last week, you know, I have some friends in Ukraine, and um, you know, I've been concerned about those that I know as well as you know, just the nation as a whole. 
And this week, as that nation has gone to war, as Russia has invaded that nation, and you know it, you know I'm I'm concerned for my friend and, and the people that I know, and even those that I don't know, because I know how devastating war is. But do you know what? I don't lose sleep. I'm concerned for my brothers and sisters in the Lord and my friends. But I also know we have an almighty God that is in control of things. And so I pray and I say, Lord, look out for the people of Ukraine, especially those brothers and sisters in the Lord. And I pray as I prayed last Sunday, I said, Lord, use this as an opportunity for them to share your love and your goodness with those that don't know it. Am I still concerned for them? Absolutely I am. But I'm not worried for them. Because I know that God is, is ultimately in control, and I know that because we have the end of the book, I know he ultimately wins the, the war. I know that God is ultimately going to have the last word. If it, if it was up to me, I would call up my friend and say, you come here, I've got a church member of 30 people, and we'll put you up, and you can come live in our houses. And, you know, we'll put, we've got pews in the church, you can come, you can sleep here if you want. But we can't do that. But we can pray. And I want to encourage you to, to pray. But here's the thing, worry and it cannot rule your heart if the peace of God is ruling your heart. And here's the point that Paul's making. You choose whether worry or peace rule your heart. The preacher can't choose it for you. Your husband or your wife can't choose it for you. Your kids can't choose it for you. Your parents can't choose it for you. Your boss can't choose it for you. You have got to choose it for yourself. And if you sit and you say, oh, right, Lord, and they're, you know, they may even come to church, but they've got a scowl on their face, and, and I can tell you know, that they're not really wanting to be there. And I almost have that to you, just go ahead and try to preach to me, preacher. I'll, I'm going to sit here, but I ain't going to listen. And, uh, you know, if that's your attitude, you ain't going to get anything. But if you choose to say, you know what, I'm not going to have the attitude. I'm going to be open to God, and I'm going to let God handle things, because he's the only one that ultimately can handle things. And so I'm just going to let the peace of God. I'm going to let the peace of knowing that God is in control take over. And it may not be something as serious and world-affecting as a war. Um, it may be family situation, maybe an argument that you had with a family member or a financial struggle or a health issue. There's lots of things for us to worry about if we let it. Now I'm not saying we don't be concerned about things. There's a difference between concern and worry. When we fret and you know, wring our hands and don't eat and don't take care of ourselves and that whatever thing it is just occupies our mind 24-7, we're worrying. Caring is, hey, if you're sick, go to the doctor. If there's something wrong, get checked out and take the medicine and 
hopefully get better. So care and, and worry are not the same. We're supposed to care, but we're not supposed to worry. And so he says, let the peace of God rule in your heart. Then what else did he say in verse 16? He said, let the word of God fill you. And I think Paul was using that term kind of in two ways. You remember how John in John chapter 1 referred to Jesus as the word. And I think Paul knew that, and I think Paul intends for us to pull that up into our mind. But I also, secondly, think he's talking about God's word, the Bible. Heard a, I don't know if it's a sign or a book or, or just saying I heard, but, and you've probably heard it too, that a Bible that's falling apart probably belongs to someone who isn't. And there's a great deal of truth to that. When your Bible is ragged and pages are coming loose, it means you've used it for more than just a coffee table ornament. But you've used it and you've read it. And there's probably some highlight in it and maybe some notes and pen or pencil. Maybe some scriptures that are circled. That's good! So Paul says, let the word of Christ dwell in you. So the fact that he is the word, but then that he's also given us his word. Listen, God's word should be a readily available and oft-used tool for the child of God. Paul calls it a sword. Sword is an offensive, it's a fighting weapon. And so he says, let the peace of God and let the word of Christ dwell in you. But then he said, listen, as Christ's peace dwells in you, and as Christ's word dwells in you and fills you, he gives us something else to do. And look what he says we're to do in verse 16. He says, then teach and admonish one another. That's one reason why it's important that we're a part of a local body of believers, a local church. It's hard to admonish and encourage someone if they're not there. Or we're not there. We can't do the encouraging or the admonishing if we're not there, and they can't receive it if they're not there, and vice versa. And we need that. If it was important for Christ to gather regularly for worship, in Scripture reading, in prayer... And Jesus did all of those things. He went to church. He didn't call it church, but that's what we would call it. He went to temple. He prayed. 
he read and studied God's Word. Now, if it was necessary for him to do those things, how much more do you think you and I need to do those things? I think a lot more. Jesus set an example for us as a good leader. And so he said, admonish and encourage one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. There again, he reminds us that because the peace of God and the word of God is living inside of you, what comes out is not, you know, cuss words and putting other people down and tearing people apart. Rather, it's praising God. And it's singing praises to God and it's admonishing and encouraging one another with the singing of psalms and songs and spiritual songs. And so as we are incarnationally filled, it impacts our life and because we're incarnationally filled, it oozes out of us. And so, is what's oozing out of you? I hope it's love. I hope it's God's word. I hope it's peace that's ruling in your heart. And then, lastly, this morning, not only you know do we need to make sure that we are uh, working hard to be intentionally active and to be incarnationally filled. But then lastly this morning, I want us to see and understand that we need to be inspirationally thankful. Multiple times here in these few verses, Paul says, you know what? You be thankful. You give God thanks. Because here's the reality. You don't deserve his grace. You don't deserve his forgiveness. You don't forgive his mercy. You don't deserve the blessings that he piles upon you. None of you do, and I don't either. But guess what? He pours it on. And he keeps on pouring it. And so Paul says, listen, don't you take that for granted. You be thankful. And part of what thankfulness does is it reminds us that these blessings and the peace that we have is not ours. And it's not because of what we've done. It's because of what God Almighty has done. It reminds us that without Him, we are nothing. We need to learn to be thankful people, not just on Thanksgiving and not just in November, but every day. And I tell you, friend, in fact, multiple times a day, you ought to be saying, Lord, thank you. We go to God and we ask Him for stuff and we pray for those that are sick. The Scripture says we're supposed to pray for those that are sick. And we're supposed to pray for the things that concern us. But that's not supposed to be the bulk of our prayers. The bulk of our prayers is to be adoration. Just adoring God and thanking Him for all that He's done for us. The only thing that Jesus Christ had ever done was to save you. That'd be enough for you to spend all eternity thanking Him. But here's the reality. He's done so much more than that. 
And each day that you walk with Him, He showers His blessings upon you. And so Paul says, listen, you live in such a way that you're different from the world, and this is how you do it. You remember that you have a love connection with God Almighty, and that you have a love connection with your brothers and sisters in Christ. So that when an attack comes against our Ukrainian brothers and sisters in the Lord, it comes against us as well because they're part of our family. Because we're linked together. And it also means because we love when, you know, sometimes, in fact, when people hurt us, you know, who hurts you deepest? It's not strangers. A stranger says something ugly to you, you slough it off eventually. Eh, they're an idiot. But when a family member hurts you, or a friend hurts you, doesn't it cut much deeper? And doesn't it hurt much more? It does. And so Paul says, you need to be remindful that you're part of one another. I don't know about you. I've, at times I've gotten cut by various things. It's never been on purpose. But how often do we on purpose hurt those that we love? And here's what Paul's saying to us through that. He says, you know what? If God's word is dwelling in you and the peace of God is infiltrating your life and you're being intentional about putting on kindness and mercy and as a result, you're forgiving people. And when you're singing songs, it's hard to be mad at somebody when you're singing blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. When you're doing those things, God not only becomes more real to you, God becomes more real to those around you. A lot of sermons that are very good have been preached through the ages. Billions and billions and billions of sermons around the world. And there's some good ones. There's some, some eggs too, but there's some brilliant sermons that have been preached. But you know what? The loudest sermons that are heard is not sermons that are preached from pulpits. It's sermons that are preached through the lives of believers. Does that mean that we shouldn't come and we shouldn't listen to God's word? Absolutely not. I think it's imperative that we do that. That scripture tells us God expects us to be in God's house. But we do need to be taking what we learn, whether it's in corporate worship or whether it's in our private Bible study and prayer time through the week, we need to take all that that the Lord is teaching us and we need to apply it to our lives so that not only are we changed by it, but that this world is transformed by it. Because this world 
in 2022, it needs love. It needs Jesus. Jesus is the only answer for this world. It's not political change, and it's certainly not tanks and bombs and missiles. The only thing that will change this world is Jesus Christ. And he starts by changing you. And I hope we'll be obedient to that and to remember that we're all connected together. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you. Thank you for your goodness and your love to us. Lord, this has been a difficult message. It's been a difficult message to preach and prepare for. It's been a, probably a difficult message to hear. But Lord, we understand and we know that we need you more in our life. And Lord, maybe there's someone here today in this auditorium or watching on Facebook or YouTube or on the website that has never trusted you. Lord, would you help them today to receive that great free gift that you purchased for them back on the cross of Calvary when you shed your innocent blood. That whosoever would call upon the name of the Lord would not perish but have everlasting life. But Lord, there's many gathered here in this auditorium and watching uh, on the internet that have made that decision and they've been changed by you, Lord. And Lord, I believe that you're saying to us today, you know what, this world needs to see the change that I'm making in your life. Lord, maybe there's a child of God here today that's struggling and they just need prayer. God, meet their need. Maybe there's one here today that needs to surrender to you in full-time Christian service. Maybe there's one that just simply needs to surrender to you to do something within this local church. God, speak to our hearts and help us to surrender to you. May the peace of God engulf our life. And may the word of Christ so richly dwell in us that when people come across us, they don't see us, they see you. And may they be changed because of it. But Lord, in order for them to be changed because of it, we first have to be changed. We first have to be active and put on these things, and we have to let you do the work that you want to do in us. So, Lord, help us to let you do it. Lord, as we sing this hymn of response, help us to be obedient to you. Help us to be your hands and feet. We pray in Jesus' name. Let's stand together, my friend, and let's sing the, together this hymn of response. And if God spoke into your heart and there's a decision you need to make today, today would be a great day. This would be a great time while God's dealing with you to make that decision for the Lord. Seth, lead us in song. I'm coming back.